raise your right hand and repeat after me. I do solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm pleased that you can make it here today because today is a very important day. You see, this hour is the very hour that could determine the rest of your existence. So with that being said, welcome to my courtroom. I'm not sure you know who I am. Your culture, how should I say this? Well, they've distorted my image. Not that I mind, however. I mean, the less serious that you take me, the better off it is for me. When I was first created, I was known as Lucifer, the son of the morning, the covering cherubim, at least That was until that egomaniac of a creator decided that I was a little too ambitious. Why? Because he knew that I was just as capable of becoming a god just like he was. So he kicks me out. Well, fine. He creates a place for me that you call hell. So now, I get to roam this world and make sure that every one of you are pointed out for who you really are, because you're not better than I am. I'm going to get what's rightfully mine and take you with me. Not that I want you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can't stand you. I can't even stand to look at you. Why? Because he created you in his image. So every time I look at you, I see him in you. And in you. And you. All I see is him. And it drives me crazy. Because none of you, none of you have followed what he said. Do you hear me? Are you listening to me? Here they are, and they don't do what you say, none of them. I'll prove it. I got an idea. Let's have a little fun. How about we play a game? A game I like to call show and tell. Only this time, I'll show who you are and I'll tell what you've done. Who should we get first? Yeah. How about Roberta? Roberta Skaggs, I know you're here today. That's an easy one. Where are you at, Roberta? Roberta. How you doing today? Can you stand up so the folks can see you? Come on, Roberta. Go ahead. Stand up. We all know who you are. Roberta, did you have a nice time this morning getting ready for church? 
You uh, didn't lose your temper this morning, did you, Roberta? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, of course not. I mean, your daughter's locked in the bathroom all morning, won't share. Your son's running around the room, spilling his cereal. And your lazy husband's over there on the couch, not helping a bit. What an oaf! Roberta. And the whole time, you're yelling at your kids and disrespecting your husband and calling out his name. Did you really think he'd come? But I didn't mean didn't to. Didn't you know he was already there, Roberta? What Guess are you what? Doing? Roberta, Get your hands off one time and you're Stop. mine. You're one of mine now. Don't That's all it takes. Me. Thank you, Roberta. That's my point. That's all I have to do is make sure every one of you know that you're mine. Because it only takes once. We're just getting started. Who wants to be next? Alan. Alan Andrews, you're next. Where you at, Alan? I should have known. Front and center, just like the good Christian he is. Got his lovely Christian wife. Two kids are probably off in the youth group. Yes. Stand up and show the folks your nice Sunday go to meet and suit, Alan. Come on, you're the Christian of the church here. Let's go. Alan, I've got a question for you. You've got your nice, lovely wife here with you. Nice family. So what are you doing entertaining thoughts about the lady down the street? I don't know what you're talking about. Alan, of course you do. You know what they say. When you look once, shame on her. But when you look twice, shame on you. And a third and a fourth and a fifth. Alan, what have you been doing? I tried to stop. I Alan, did. why would you try to stop? She's a pretty little thing. I wouldn't look. stop. Just you're look. a red-blooded American male. It's natural. But that's all it takes. It just takes that once. And we're just getting started. Let's move over here. Where some of our nice youth sit. And let's talk to Maria Nightingale. Maria, can you stand up for the folks? Come on, Maria, stand up. Show them what the pride of our youth group looks like. This is Maria. I know what you're thinking. What could she have done? Sassed back to mommy. Maybe talk back to daddy. Oh, Maria. No. Of course not. Not Maria. Those of you that don't know her, probably, yeah, teenager. Drugs, alcohol, no, running around. I don't do any of that. Of course she doesn't. Not Maria. She's the pride of our youth. She would never do that. I've just got a simple question for you, Maria. How'd you do on the math test this week? It, it went well. Why? Of course it went well. Since the guy you cheated off of got an A, don't you think you got an A no, too, Maria? No, it was only one. Maria, only you one? You stole the answer from him. You cheated. And that's how easy it is to become one of mine. Just once. I just walk around this world and say, did you notice? I don't have to do anything. I just got to make sure that you're shown for who you really are. Any volunteers? This is so easy. So easy that I could stop anywhere. Like Amy. How you doing? Amy, 
Do you know what you did? I, I told a lie. That's right. Isn't the innocence of youth so refreshing? Leave my daughter Amy alone. told a lie. No. Donna, that's all it takes. No. It doesn't matter what no. age you are. It doesn't matter who you are or who your mommy is. No. You're mine. No. Don't Take her up there. Because no. one time, no, no one. Donna, what's the matter? Pay? Donna, you can't pay for her. You can't even pay for yourself. Donna, your list is longer than my arm. You want me to start talking and tell everybody what I know about you? I don't think you do. Let's just come on up here now anyway, because you belong with me. You see what it is? Guess what? Did you notice something here? I didn't have to go out and get the murderers and the criminals and the bad people. I got normal, ordinary folk. But just understand this one thing. All it takes is one wrong word, one wrong thought, one wrong action. And it doesn't matter how young or how old you are, one time, and you are mine forever. Now, who do we want to get next? Come on, I don't see any volunteers jumping up at the... What? No, no, not that! Don't do it! No!
Father. No. Forgive them. No. They don't know what they're doing. Why are you doing this? Are you insane? Have you gone mad? These people don't care about you. They're never going to believe in you. Come down. Come off of there. Save yourself. Remember, remember what I told you. I'll, I'll give some of them back to you. I'll give more of them back to you. Just don't do this. They'll never love you. Roberta. No. Alan, let them go. Maria. Oh. Donna. Why? Save yourself.
second chances And they sentenced me to die And I was just like a dead man walking I was running out of time Cause you came to me and opened my eyes And you gave to me a brand new Myself with joy or sadness, I am calling out your name. Cause you came to me and opened my eyes, and you gave to me a brand new life. I have been set free 
Someday every one of us is going to stand before God. On one side will be an eternity in heaven. On the other side will be an eternity without God in a place called hell. What's going to make the difference when you stand before God? Was it whether you were a member of a particular church or was it whether you were a pretty good person? What will make the difference in where you're going to spend eternity? It's going to come down according to the Bible to one question, and that is, are you guilty of sin or are you innocent? Those who are innocent will get to spend eternity with God and those who are guilty will be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. So the next question then is to find out who is guilty before God. I'd like to ask you to look in your Bibles this morning in the book of Romans. Romans was written by a lawyer, a man with a great mind, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he begins to lay out a case for the gospel. And in chapter 1, he begins to talk about who's guilty Who's going to be guilty before God? And we might not be surprised to find out that he's going to start out with the non-religious world. He's going to talk to people that don't have any religion really, or maybe they don't uh, go to church or pray or read their Bibles. And we're going to find out what he has to say about them. I don't think you'll be surprised. In Romans chapter 1 verse 18, the Bible says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people, who push the truth away from themselves. You ever sit down at the table and you don't want to eat and just decide to push away from the table? You just don't want what's there? That's what Paul is talking about here when the, with the non-religious world. They, they see God and prayer and the Bible and the church and they just push away from the table. The Bible says, for the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. We're entering again a new debate in Kansas over creation and evolution. And there are people today who say they believe in evolution because there is no evidence of God. Well, God begs to differ. He believes that this world with all of its beauty and intricacy and, and uh, interrelationship of systems, living systems. God believes that's proof of his existence. And he says that these people have no excuse for not knowing him. Yes, they knew God, verse 21, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools instead. The Greek word for wise there is the word sophos. We get our word sophisticated from that, or sophistry. And the Greek word for fools is the word moros. Guess which word we get from that? God says, professing themselves to be sophisticated, they became morons. And that's why people today believe the most ridiculous things. It's not that there's evidence for evolution. It's just that when you reject God and you push away from the table and you don't want to believe the obvious truth about God, all that's left is foolishness. The Bible says, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. So God let them go ahead and do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 28 says, when they refused to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their evil minds and let them do things that should never be done. 
Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God. They are forever inventing new ways of sinning and are disobedient. Well, you're not surprised that those people are going to wind up in hell when they stand before God, are you? Because they've pushed God away. They were not religious. They had no place for God in their lives. And so in Romans chapter 1, we find that God considers those people guilty. Well, somebody could say, well, Mark, I don't have any problem with that. I'm a, I'm a member of this great church, and, and I'm a very religious person, and I grew up in church, and my parents taught me the things of God from day one. Well, now Paul wants to take you to chapter 2 of this great book called Romans. He said, you may be saying, what terrible people you've been talking about, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you do the same things. And Paul goes on to say, don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind he has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? Wow, that kind of stings a little bit, doesn't it? Do you realize, according to statistics, and I've been reading a lot about this in the last few weeks, the statistics are showing that Christians divorce at about the same rate as non-Christians do. Did you know that? And we're finding that Christian young people who perhaps even go to Christian schools participate in some of the same sinful behaviors that those who are just out and out rejecting God behave, behave in. What's going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. We're religious but deep down in our hearts, a lot of the same sinful behavior that's out in the hearts of those who don't have anything to do with God, a lot of the same stuff is in our hearts and lives. And Paul said, do you think that you're going to get by with that just because you cover it up by going to church? Is being religious going to get you some brownie points with God? Paul says, don't you understand how patient God is being with you? And he's talking about us at that point. So in chapter 1 of Romans, we get it very clear. The, the unreligious person is going to be found guilty before God. But when I go to chapter 2, I find out that I'm going to be guilty before God just as much as anybody else. It's no wonder that when you get to chapter 3 of the book of Romans, Paul will say in verse 10, there's nobody righteous. No, not one. Remember at the beginning of this message, I said that the line's going to be between those people who are guilty and those people who are innocent. So if you're here today and you're not a religious person, you discover in chapter 1 that you're guilty before God, but I'm not in any better shape because when I go to chapter 2, I discover that I'm just as guilty before God as that non-religious person. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, and that all of us have sinned before God. So that leaves us in bad shape, doesn't it? Every one of us. The drama today, you know, it was depicted, and of course, all those people who were part of the drama, they knew they were part of the drama, but in real life, any one of us could have been pulled up here. For every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has come short of God's perfect glory. So what's our hope? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 20 of chapter 3, for no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. 
And somebody says, I know the idea. If I'm guilty before God, I'll just start going to church and I'll turn over a new leaf and I'll start obeying God. But friend, that won't get you into heaven because A, what will you do about your sins in the past? And B, the closer you get to God's law, the more you discover that you break God's law. I know you guys will understand this. You know, you shave in the morning and you think you've gotten everything up. And you, you get into your automobile and you drive out in the sunlight and you glance in the rearview mirror and you find all these spots that you've missed because that light coming from the sun reveals things that the light in your bathroom didn't catch. We know we're guilty before God before we start reading the Bible and listening to sermons. But when we get closer to God, we just find out how much more guilty we are of things that we didn't even know about. So what do we do then? Well, the first thing we understand is that we're hopeless based on keeping the law. You can't go to heaven by being a Baptist or by being a Catholic. You can't go to heaven by joining this church. You can't go to heaven by being baptized. Listen, you could get every one of my sermon CDs through the last 20 years and listen to them and memorize them, but that wouldn't take you to heaven. Even if you were to memorize the whole Bible, that wouldn't get you to heaven. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight. Not by obeying the law, but by the way promised in the scriptures long ago. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. See, that's the way that you can become righteous is through what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. You can't be righteous within your own self. But Jesus Christ has the ability to make you righteous. Did you hear that three times in the book of Romans? The Bible said we are made righteous. We are made innocent through what Christ did for us on the cross. You say, Mark, is that like being acquitted? You know, watching court cases has become entertainment for Americans. And just this week, there was a high-profile court case of an actor who was accused of killing his wife, and he came back acquitted. So is that what we're talking about here? Are we talking about God acquitting us? Hey, let's be real for a moment. Some of the people that get acquitted, even though they may not have to pay the penalty in this life, don't we have suspicions that they probably are guilty anyway? Does O.J. Simpson ring a bell? He got acquitted, but he probably is guilty before God. So is that what God is talking about here? I mean, we have sinned against God, but is it just God acquitting us, voting to make us not guilty? God could never do that. Because God's not working here with reasonable doubt. God knows what every one of us has done. So we're not talking about acquittal here. We're talking about something far different. Let me, let me propose a principle to you. Suppose for a moment that there was someone here who was guilty of a crime and the law said he had to go to prison for three years. Let us suppose that he has to stay in prison for every day of those three years. When he walks out of prison, though, can the law do anything with him anymore for those crimes that he committed? 
No, because the price has been paid. He has satisfied the requirement of the law. What I want all of us to understand today is that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his life paid the price for all the sins that you and I have ever committed. Jesus, as we know, was crucified. And the Romans had a practice for anyone who was crucified. They would take a small piece of wood, a little placard, a little block of wood, and they would engrave on that wood the crime that that person was guilty of. So if a person was guilty of murder, murder would be written above his head. If he was guilty of assault, assault would be written up over his head and placed on the cross. If he was guilty of insurrection, that's what would be written on his placard. And anybody walking by that cross would know what that man was being crucified for. He was guilty of that crime. But after he died, they would take that piece of wood and pull it off the cross to symbolize that that crime had been paid for and there was no longer any debt. When your Lord and my Lord died on the cross, Pilate didn't know what to put over his head because he was not guilty of any sin. He was not guilty of any crime. And all Pilate could think to put on there was the accusation that he had made himself a king. And so Pilate put Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And many of you have seen depictions of Jesus hanging on the cross, and you'll see the Latin letters I-N-R-I. There's no J. So it would be Jesus of Nazareth, Rex, king of the Jews. But in God's sight, something far different was placed on Jesus' cross. We can read about it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, which is my life verse. I guess if you had to pin me down, if I, if I couldn't have any of the other verses in the Bible, and I was left to just have one verse in the Bible, this would be the verse that I would choose. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, the Bible says he canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Do you understand what that means? Every sin I've ever committed from day one of my life, God the Father took that and nailed it to the son of his cross, to the cross of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died, that was taken away. All that record that was against me, all my sins that, that were against me, they were taken away by the blood of Christ. And because I have yielded my heart to Christ and accepted him, I'm not just acquitted. I'm innocent. Because my sin has been paid for. Once that sign was taken off the cross, every sin I've ever committed or ever will commit was paid for by the blood of Jesus. And that's why on this Palm Sunday, we celebrate that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, the King of glory, lay down on a Roman cross and gave his life for you and me. Somebody could come in today and say, wow, Mark, this service is kind of edgy. I kind of like the touchy-feely kind of stuff, you know. Do you understand what it took to buy your soul? Do you understand what it took to wash your sins away? It took nothing short of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, right now, you're still in your sins. You still have your sins upon you. 
but the price has been paid. You don't have to wait another moment. Right now, you can turn from your sin and turn to Christ and have him pay for your sins. You say, Mark, how do I do that? Listen, God is already waiting to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. You don't have to talk him into it. He loves you so much he gave his son for you. And right now, wherever you are, you can reach out by faith and accept Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. I'm preaching to some of you here today. You're not a religious person. This is the first time you've understood what God has done for you through his son, Jesus. I want to invite you to receive Jesus today. You don't have to be a religious person. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he's God's son. Believe that God sent him to die for you. Believe that he will change your life. On the other hand, I'm talking to some of you who've been on the role of Messiah for years. You've got a long litany of religious things that you've done, but really when it gets right down to it, you've never committed your life to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Would you bow your heads with me, please, with every head bowed and every eye closed? I want us to have a moment for prayer.